with one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Welcome to Insights, everyone. Today, Amy Wright chats with Compass Records Act, The Brother Brothers, formed by twin brothers Adam and David Moss. They're here today to discuss their brand new album, Cover to Cover, a covers project with selections from Tom T. Hall, Jackson Brown, James Taylor, Robert Earl Keane, and various others. They also share in their origins of being raised in Peoria, Illinois, where they grew up on a steady diet of the Everly Brothers, the Beach Boys, the Beatles, and plenty of others. These two are music scholars who are always learning, exploring, and figuring out who played on what and who wrote what, that kind of thing. So be prepared to learn quite a bit in this conversation. From Diddy TV, here's Amy Wright with the Brother Brothers, right here on Insights. Adam, David, welcome to Diddy TV. Thanks thank for you. having us. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Um, I understand that you guys are in Santa Monica today. I feel bad for you, by the way. Oh, yeah, it's so hot. You know, the ocean, <laughs> the ocean breeze doesn't, uh, doesn't smell um, as oceany as it normally does. So <laughs> thanks, for your, thanks for your concern. I am concerned about you. Well, we are in Memphis, and um, if you haven't been to Memphis, it's uh, super hot right here, uh, especially in the summer, and humid, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm jealous and wish I was out where you were today. So um, we're going to talk about your album, Cover to Cover. Really fun album, and I just I enjoyed the heck out of it. I was listening to it last night, you know, kind of getting ready for this chat, and um so um, where did you actually grow up, though? You're, you're in California and Miami now, but where did you grow up? Um, we grew up in Peoria, Illinois. So we're very uh, familiar with the humidity and the heat that you're dealing with right now, that, that river heat. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it, it totally gets to you at the core. Um, thank God for air conditioning. Someone invented that, and that was a good thing. <laughs> so... Um, so what was it like? What, were, what was your childhood like? Were you playing music? Um, did you start at an early age or what was that all about? Uh, we, when we were quite, well, we were always very musical. Our mother was, is a singer and uh, she was on, she was in theater and did a bunch of stuff in theater. And then um, was always sang and all throughout our lives. And we were very encouraged to be musical. And then Around the age of seven, we went to a fine arts magnet school in Peoria that doesn't exist anymore, which is very sad for that town because I could use it. Um, but we were lucky enough to go to that, and it really uh, started our musical journey, I guess you could say. And we've been music musical ever since, and our parents always encouraged us, so it was very easy to do. What was it like attending an arts magnet school? I mean, is, was it all-encompassing arts, or were arts just a part of it? 
Um, it was it was a lot of music, and everybody played an instrument. Um, everybody took a dance class. Every every year was a different type of dance. So one year was um, ballet. One year was uh, tap. And then was there another? Was like we did jazz? like an acrobatics thing. It was like a yeah jazz dance. Maybe I don't know what they called it. Yeah, but um, we're doing somersaults though. Yeah, and so it was like. I just remember it being really fun. Um, I mean, we also had, you know, classes with, you know, math and all that other stuff, but there was always that time for, for the arts. And I, I remember, I mean, we only had one life, so, but I remember it being very, very enriching. And I can't imagine school without it. Okay, so I have to ask you, though, which kind of dance were you better at? <laughs> uh, well... Well, we were seven, so it was about even at all of them. All know? right, exactly. Um, so which Eight, instruments uh, did you start out in, each of you? Um, I started on the violin. Well, we started when we were seven, so that's second grade. Um, we both started on um, our respective string instruments and the piano. So we started taking piano lessons, and I started taking violin lessons, and David started taking cello lessons. So yeah. did you? what did you stick with then? Uh that's what, that's what we stuck with. Violin and cello. Violin yeah. and cello. And, uh, and I still play piano today. David doesn't as much. but You take a ripping keyboard solo on the that's album. True. Yeah. I play a bunch of keyboards on the album, actually. Yeah. I think the piano is one of those instruments that's just great if you're writing songs. Yeah. It's a nice, it's a nice uh, visual map of, of Western musical, of the Western musical situation so yeah it's it's great for creativity because it's just i'm a fiddle player myself and i took up guitar more recently just so i could write kind of play and sing at the same time and just do my own thing Mm -hmm. um and you know it's obviously challenging it doesn't matter what instrument you've played taking up another instrument is always you're like this should be easier than this (laughs) Yeah. yeah well i mean um if you listen to i will that's me and David, we're both just strumming our stringed instruments. So you can do that. You don't have to learn the guitar. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> so I might just take your advice on that one because it's really <laughs> hard to learn a new, brand new instrument. Um, so you started harmonizing at an early age, right? Yeah. Um, so how did, how did that come about? What, what made you decide, hey, we want to we sing harmonies, not just melody together? I think it was probably um, not even planned. It's just, you know, we heard the Everly Brothers or we heard the Keystone Trio. Or, you know, there's so much harmony in this world that when you listen to the radio, we just wanted to do that. So we just did it. I don't think it was that thought out. Also in, in this magnet school, there was choir. So yeah. um, I, I, I was good. Oh yeah. I was an alto and you were a soprano. Yeah. And they put us in different sections because I had more of a, I had like a a throat thing when I was younger. I was a little more hoarse than Adam was. So I couldn't sing as high as he could. <laughs> Did it come naturally, though? Because being twins, I would think yeah. your voice just blend really easily. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, we sang, a, we sang an annoyingly large amount. We sang a lot. So, um, yeah, I think it was just kind of something that we did, you know. It came quite natural. Well, it's funny because as a violin player, because I sing too, 
And mm -hmm. harmonies come really easy to me, and I've always wondered if it's because when you play a stringed instrument, you're not always playing the melody. You're playing a harmony part or some other part, and you kind of have to be able to hear that in your head in order to really execute on that. And I thought maybe that just sort of trains your ear to be able to drown out the noise uh, when you're trying to sing a harmony part. I mean, it just sounds like another melody to me, which is what the violins always sounded like to me. Yeah, it could be, for sure. So did you play together in high school? Um, our musical journey of playing together didn't really happen until about 2016. Um, so, I mean, we would play a bit together. Yeah, we, we were very involved in each other's lives, but the, the prospect of being in a group together... Although we did have a gypsy jazz band. Yeah, we had a... In college. And we did some stuff. And we were in musical theater together. And we had an acapella quartet in high school. So we did stuff together. But, you know, as a project, like the Brother Brothers, that, was, that all started in 2016. Ah. Well, we did, always, you did you study music in college then yes. as well? Yeah. Where did you go? University of Illinois. We were in the what was the music program, program like there? Uh, well, we were in the classical music program, so it was, you know, I would assume very typical classical music program and co collegiate classical music program. I was studying the viola and David was on the cello. Yeah. Um, it was very fun. It was, we had some great teachers. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Um, but it was, uh, I, f I feel like it also, all of the different music classes that you take in music school really spurned our and um, encouraged our love of non-classical styles. And so as we were like exploring all of these classes, I took a jazz piano class. David took a history of music class that had to do with like, I don't know. American like, roots and that yeah. kind of thing. And so being exposed to that stuff really sparked our interest. And it was also, we were in college in the days of LimeWire um, and Napster. So we were just inhaling just downloading so much music and just inhaling all kinds of music. So I think that kind of also um, helped, helped uh, encourage the, the improvisatory music. I think more than the Napster and downloads, we also, the University of Illinois Music School has one of the largest music libraries of any college in the, in the country. And so just it was, you know, we'd practice upstairs and the music library was downstairs. So that's where we'd go to study. That's where we go to just like waste some time when we didn't have anything to do. And I had a roommate that worked there. So he was able to check out records that most people weren't able to check out. So the, uh, the study of music was quite deep and the librarian there was, I forgot his name, but he was such a cool guy. And you'd start talking about music with him any type. And he really knew his stuff and he would, Oh, you like that? You should listen to this. Oh, you like that? You should listen to this, you know? And uh, I think for me, that was a really big, uh, really big learning tool was the library. You know, what you just described is what I grew up with in record stores. There were so many more record stores when I was a yeah. kid. And you would go down to your neighborhood record store and you would say, oh, I like this guy, and is there anyone else you can recommend? And you would get all these recommendations from the guy who worked in the, in the store because, of course, that's all they did all day was listen to music. Um, it's really great when someone can turn you on to something and you really like it. You know, that's just a really great feeling. Totally. So 
when you got out of college, did you each go different directions then in terms of projects? Yeah. Um, well, we had we had a like a Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli style band in, in college that we used to play. And um, when the local bluegrass band in Illinois, there's a very healthy in the Midwest, there's a very healthy like jam grass scene. Um, especially in the days that we were in college. And so when the local hippie jam grass band learned of this guy who improvised on the violin, they were like, hey man, you know, should play some fiddle with us. And so I ended up getting into fiddle music. And then from then, uh, ended up moving to Austin, Texas with that band and toured around for the next four years out of Austin. Well, um, yeah, I- and that kind of set, set us on our individual paths yeah. Um, David ended up moving down to Austin. Yeah, I moved to Chicago trying to start a, I wanted to start a trip hop band. And um, I'm sorry, what's that? I don't know what that is. Portis Head, that like slow. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, and, but I ended up meeting uh, a guitar player and singer that lived through Adam when I visited Austin and I was like, Oh, those are my people. I need to start the band with them. And so I moved to Austin. And so we each we each had bands out of Austin that were um, pretty successful in, in local, local and touring bands. And, uh, and yeah, and then they kind of that, so we were on our separate paths and then Adam left and he moved to Boston. I, uh, stayed in Austin. And when Adam moved to New York City, I was like, it's time. I, w- I want to move to New York City as well. And that's when we kind of, you know, started on that path. So what what attracted you to New, New York City besides the the normal things that attract people to? I mean, I love New York, but. Uh, I think the normal things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just the normal. It's the great, it's the great city, you know, so it's just this this feeling of, you know, I've always wanted, if I don't live there now, when am I going to? So might as well do it now. What was and the music we, scene like there when you oh, were there? So vibrant, lovely. Everybody's, everybody's so nice and there's not a lot of competition. Everybody's pretty community oriented. So there's just, there's just gig, there were, there were at least just gigs everywhere. So everybody was calling each other and trying to, there's just a huge community. It was wonderful. Was it easy to connect with other musicians and, you know, play yeah, together I, or get a gig? Yeah, I feel like it was incredibly easy. There was just so many different bar. The, the bar scene is so vibrant in New York City. And um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's so, so many there's so many jams and sessions that happen inside of a bar. So you could get you when you move to town, you just find out about them and then you um yeah, you find out about them and then you um, go and then they, you know, hear you play and they're like, oh man, I got this gig, this place. And so you go and play that gig and then all of a sudden things are rolling, you know? You have a favorite club there? Oh man. I think That's one of the standouts would be the Mona's Bluegrass Jam. There's a bar called Mona's on the uh, lower, well, East Village. And uh, every Monday they, there's a Bluegrass Jam that, you know, you can pretty much count on anybody that can even twinkle a little bluegrass they they show up if they're in town you know at least it was that way and i'm sure once the once once people really start going back out to bars it'll be like that again but it was very special and i've met 90 percent of my friends there you know 
our friends. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. So let's, let's kind of move forward then to when you decided to do this project together in 2016, you're doing your own thing. And uh, what made you decide, hey, maybe we should do something together? But did someone say that to you or did you just collectively decide to do that? Um, through a, I think through a, through a series of events um, and just, you know, life, life happenings, um, I, I just went through a period and was like, you know what, it's it's time. We were kind of toying with it starting around 2015. There's actually some video up on YouTube of us making, I was like trying to get some videos made so we can do it. But just something happened to me and I just was like, you know what, I'm just going to start booking us gigs. And so I just started booking us gigs and I made us a website. And that was it. I just, I was tired of waiting for phone calls to play. And I was like, you know what, we got this thing. If we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. So we just started it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It took a long time to, because being in a being in a band isn't just playing shows together, but it's sitting in a car for eight hours, you know, when you have about five minutes to spare because you're running late at nine o'clock in the morning, but you're not going to get there until 5 p.m. And you just have all day and you then you also have to answer emails and you have to do this and you have to do that. And it's so much work. And to be able to get along and make decisions together, even when you're short of sleep and hungover and that sort of thing, is you got to get along. It's, you know, bands break up for a reason. And, you know, brothers are notorious for getting in fights and, you know, having trouble. So we didn't want to try something and then just doom ourselves. So we, 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 made, we made a very uh, calculated decision to... To, to, that that was the time we could finally get along, you know? Well, so your your harmonies are just beautiful. I have, I have to say your voices blend so beautifully in the songs you've chosen. Were you already writing songs at this point in 2016 or were you mainly, you know, doing covers? What were you doing when you first kind of got together? Well, I had been, I had had since 20, I started writing songs in probably around like 2010, 20, 2009. And, uh, and I, that's also when I started playing guitar. So when I moved to New York City, I was, I had quit my band and I was like, I'm just going to go for it and try and make a career of it being a songwriter. And I thought maybe I could get some sort of a publishing deal, whatever. And, uh, and so I'd been writing songs all that time. And Adam has always written songs for whatever projects he's been in. So we, we'd been writers. And there, were, there, was a, there was a wealth of music to, to draw on for our own for our own albums. Were you both drawn to a songwriting style that really incorporated all those harmonies or did that just sort of come naturally to each of you? Um, well, when we were younger, um, we used to be big fans of the Beatles and the Everly Brothers and Simon and Garfunkel. And then as we got older and started getting into the bluegrass tradition, you know, all of those brother harmonies like the Stanley Brothers and mm-hmm. Reno and Smiley and the Lubin Brothers, um, the... Um, 
the what's their names? The starts with the D. Delmore Brothers. The Delmore Brothers. That that was kind of like, you know, that really we got very into that. The tradition then, of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I think to answer that question, it's more I think I'm a very songwriter forward person. I care a lot about writing in the song. And I th- think an interesting thing about us is that we always, the song comes first and then the harmony seems to come second and we just do with it what we can make mm-hmm. little edits if we have to. But um, the, the song, the song is very important to us and the, the craft of the song. So um Harmonies, when you ask a question about harmony, it's kind of funny because a lot of times we take it, we're like, ooh, I don't know if this song has harmony. And then we kind of work one out and it and it's like, oh, I guess it does now, you know, that kind of a thing. So um, do you tend to write songs together or separately? Because I was interviewing another duo and each of them writes songs, but they don't write them together. They typically bring a song to the table and then they work out the other parts. Yeah, we mostly worked separately until we have an album that's uh, that we just recorded that's not, you know, we're going to not put out yet. But uh, that one has a lot of co-writes and we did a lot of collaborating on it. And uh, so that that one is we're looking forward to putting that out because it's, it's different because we, we work together on it, you know. Um, yeah. Did that make it easier? I wouldn't say that it make, made it easier, but I think that we've been working our, on our relationship enough. And we, I think we just like trust each other's musical styles more than we used to. So I think it's easier to have a little bit of input. And so it's, we have some sort of flow and we know how to, how to be creative together without bringing each other's necks, you know, which is quite challenging for a lot of people. So. No, it is. It is challenging. It's challenging to get along with any other human being when you're together all the time and you have to work so closely. Yeah. And especially when you're, you know, uh, writing music and poetry and and songs are just so, you know, you're really exploring the innerness of your of your emotional spectrum. And so when somebody critiques that, you know, it's a very sensitive subject. So you have to do it lightly and you have to do it thoughtfully. So to be able to figure out how to navigate that spectrum took a long time, but I think we're there in a lot of ways. So that's nice. And I hadn't thought that's a very good point you make because I hadn't even thought about that, that you bring something creative to the table and the other person's going to comment on it. And so (laughs) that has to be. Well, you don't like my emotional being great. (laughs) Screw you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That would be tough. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you guys get signed to Compass then? And how did that ha- happen? Um, we signed to Compass in 20, I think, 18. So they put out our first official album, Some People I Know. Um, 2019. Was it that came out in 2019? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we signed with them in 2018. Though. No, it came out in October 2018. Oh, okay. I think. I anyway, um, yeah, uh, we signed with them around then. Uh, and, uh, you know, just from being around, um, playing a lot of gigs, um, we were just kind of looking for a record label and they popped up as a suggestion and we contacted them and they seemed interested. So, you know, they were the ones. So how did things change for you in terms of how you work, tour, et cetera, after you 
God on, on compass? Oh, uh, well, you can answer that one. <laughs> That's a tough question to answer, but you know, a lot of things in the music world are, are, you know, coming from all over the place. So it's hard to know who did what or what happened, you know, uh, What's what's the uh, what's the saying? Failure is an orphan, but success has a thousand fathers. <laughs> right. So it's impossible to say how how our situation went, and the music world is just so weird right now. But it felt good to have um, have the support of many people. You know, Compass is experienced in putting records out, and they have they have they have the resources and the experience to navigate that world. So it felt good to have, have some help doing that for sure. Yeah. yeah. It was cool to have a, have a team all working together, but it also came with its own set of challenges because we were kind of used to doing everything and it took a, it was a very big learning process for sure. It's kind of what it was. I was wondering. And then I know you had a sophomore album, Calla Lily, sorry. So, uh, you put that out, and was that different? Was that experience different? And uh, had you learned a lot in the, from the first album that you put out? Well, I mean, things are changing so crazily right now. That album came out during COVID, during the during the lockdown. So right at the end of the lockdown. So, you know, uh, yes, the experience was different. Um, but we, we actually shot we shot one of our vi the the videos for the first single. We shot that uh, right at the very beginning of the pandemic. We we were outside, and Adam and I were pot. We were like a pod, so we borrowed a car and we drove out to the country and we shot the video all in all like safely. But you know, it was that was like super New York. Everybody was like, "Holy crap, what is happening?" You know, no nobody. Everybody left town, and and the whole idea of the video was that all of the crowd and all of the people that we interacted with were animated. So we weren't actually talking to real people. We were talking to cartoons <laughs> and video. Well, that's helpful during COVID, I would think. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. You, you don't want to be around any real people. No. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely I'm so not. glad that we can actually talk in, in person. This is a Zoom call, but it's great that live music is out there again, and we can all kind of get out and enjoy ourselves and see each other face to face. No doubt. What was the entire COVID experience like like for you guys? It sounds like you were at least able to be together and continue to play and create. It took, a, it took like a, for the first month, in, I think a lot of people don't realize what New York City was like because um, a lot of people have their hide their houses, but everybody lives in these big buildings. And if you recall at the beginning, I mean, New York City had this huge spike and people were afraid to leave their houses because we didn't know how it was transmitted. So you were afraid to touch doorknobs. You were afraid to, you know, to go to the grocery store, any of that stuff. And we uh, literally, I lived next to the highway and the only cars you would hear go by were ambulances because there were that many people getting sick in such close proximity. And it was very, very scary. So that first month was really scary. And then we kind of realized, oh, you can go outside, you can you know, if you're, if you, you can kind of have a pod and it's a little dangerous, but not as dangerous. And so we had our few friends that we, you know, I, me and Adam 
where it stayed, we like would go to each other's houses, but we wouldn't go anywhere else, you know? So it was very, very scary and very tough. And it just kind of only became a little bit less tough as it went, you know, as it moved on. Were you able to continue to be creative? Oh, very creative. Yeah. Um, there was a, we, we joined a lot of a song. Like I remember doing a song a day. It was all basically me and a, and a, and a internet, I mean, an email list group of friends. So it was like 30 different people all, all did. The requirement was that you had to write a song per day and turn it in. And then the person who was organizing it would put that whole thing in a SoundCloud and say, so you listen to everybody's song per day. And because nobody was going to work and nobody had jobs, all these musicians weren't gigging or touring. Everybody was fully committed and it turned in, there was some really great art created. I, I myself learned how to play the rediscovered the piano. Um, and yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, and then, you know, just having so much free time, there was a lot of opportunities to create and yeah. learn. Half of the cover songs that, are on the album I probably learned during the pandemic because I was just practicing and learning and that sort of thing the whole time. And, you know, learn to cook and all kinds of stuff. That's cool. It's cool in that Learning way. to cook is a good skill. <laughs> yeah. Especially when um, you're in a car all the time. <laughs> true. That's very true. Um, well, let's talk about the album cover to cover because sure. what a clever name. I really like the name of the album. Um, why did you decide to produce a cover album? Um, I think, you know, from a music business perspective, um, everything's really unstable. And when you when you decide to make an album, you're deciding to do something that you're going to you're going to create something now that's going to be released six months from now or a year from now. So and at this time, at, especially at that time, we had no idea what was going to happen. So. um we just figured, and, and like we knew everybody was making albums. We had just delayed and released our record of originals, Calilily. Um, So, and that was, you know, during the pandemic. So we were like, we're not going to get to tour Calilily. We're not going to get to really mm. share Calilily with everybody until all of this is over. So, but we also need to keep creating. We need to keep performing. We need to keep, you know, um, adding adding to our, you know, our music lives. So we decided to do, and we've always wanted to make a covers record. It's just hard to find the timing, but it felt incredibly right to do that with the instability of the time. It, so we have, we have an original record to ingest, and now we also have music to ingest, you know, instead of two full albums of original stuff, it's a lot, you know, yeah. to be presenting at once. Very true, and and these are the, your song selection is just amazing. Um, well, how did you choose the songs? Um, we had a very large list that we whittled down. Let's just yeah. put it that way. Yeah, we basically went played through the list, and we found out very quickly if we were going to be able to pull these songs off or not. And these are the ones we decided to dig into, for sure. Was it important to you that the songs sound? different uh or that you put your own stamp on them yeah Very for the much. most part yeah. yeah it was important that we sang them a lot and rehearsed them a lot so that they stopped becoming the versions that we learned and the versions that we sang if that makes any sense no it does it's almost as if you have to quit listening to the original version 
so that the so that your own version does just morph and yes. you know, the yeah. harmony part may not be the harmony they sung on the original totally version yeah. that kind of thing yeah i mean we definitely i mean i feel of of all of the covers that i've heard that i've loved it's usually a combination of things that i enjoy about them but mostly it's how how a beautiful song that i've heard before can be reimagined and live up live up to its beauty and sometimes be even more beautiful there's there's cover versions that i like better than the originals of of many many songs i would agree with you there and um so where did you record the album and who produced it we recorded it at compass records at their studio mm-hmm. um which uh yeah and uh which is actually the the old Outlaw Studios. I don't know if you've that those uh, the Willie Nelson, Merle, Waylon, Willie Waylon, and uh, and all mm-hmm. them. That's the voice. That's their building, which I think is super cool. Um, it's also the same studio that uh, John Hartford's Aeroplane was recorded. Fun fact, but uh, we produced it ourselves, so we're pretty proud of that. I think. Yeah, and you obviously knew what you were doing, so. <laughs> Um, we, yeah, we've, we've recorded an album or two before, so yeah. Well, and you, and you had some other collaborators on the album and yeah. who were they and what did they bring to the table? Well, um, it, it was pandemic times, so there were a few, uh, remote collaborators, but it was also in that beautiful little window post vaccine and pre the Delta variant. So we, we had a lot of like nice unmasked time with some with with some friends um we sarah jarose came in and recorded um mandolin and sang harmonies on a song allison brown yeah allison brown came in so there was one day where we had allison and sarah um in the same day and we recorded some that was they're both on uh feeling good again that was a really um that was a that was a robert o'keen song um but it was just like kind of perfect because the song's about, you know, things not always being great, but coming in and just having a great night and just, you know, living that life and appreciating it. And then here we are in the studio recording with, you know, two of our favorite musicians and getting to have the good hang too. Yeah. Which we hadn't had in a long time. Yeah. It was a great hang. Yeah. So it was kind of perfect. There was a lot of, there was a lot of those uh, magical moments, cosmic moments like that during the recording. Um, also our friend Michaela Ann sang harmonies on, uh, high Sierra and she had just given birth like a week or two beforehand, which was amazing. So she brought her like newborn baby into the studio and was holding the baby while she was singing the harmonies. It was so cool. Let's talk about a couple, couple of the other songs and you can just tell me why you picked this song and what it means to you. How about that? Okay. Um, so how about um, Jackson Brown's These Days? Okay. That song, we, uh, we've kind of just sang it forever. Yeah. And I discovered it at a, not that young of an age. I discovered Jackson Brown. I mean, I'd heard his songs, but I discovered his genius, I guess you could say, at a, at a you know, at not that young of an age. And, um, and I just went through it and I listened to every version I think that's ever been made of that song. And I just loved it. And this was, you know, probably 15, 20 years ago. And 
Um, and I worked up a version of it a long time ago and I would always play it, but it just kind of became this conglomerate of all the, all the different versions that I had learned. And so when we started this as this group, I would, it was when it was time to sound check, we would, I would find, we would, I would find myself playing the guitar for that song and it kind of just became our sound check song a lot of times. So it was just an obvious choice when it was, yeah, time. It was very natural. We already half worked out the worked the song out. So how about uh, I Will from the Beatles? Um, I will. Um, I will. We've been singing together since we were like six years old. Um, we used to go to sleep to the White Album. We'd have it in our little cassette player and it would just play. So we knew we knew that we knew this, the A record. We only had a tape of the A record. Um, uh, but we knew that so well that we would know what note the next song would start on. We could just sing from one. I mean, we knew it like one large piece of music. Um, so, and I always say whenever that song, like there's only harmony on the, on the chorus part. And I was like, why isn't there harmony the whole way through? <laughs> I always thought that ever since I was six years old. So it was time. And was really fun is that we've I've been messing with pedals and and amps and stuff for my violin and David's obviously been doing that a lot with his guitar. So when we went into the studio, it was actually the first song that we did because it was duo. And um, so I plugged. I, I don't know how closely listening to it, but it was a very fun recording process because I had a lot of my effects and a lot of pedals pulled up. I mean we. He put a mic on the amp and then we just kind of produced the we we produced the noises so that, you know, there's many different violin tracks plucking. And then, you know, we added a little bit of effect. It was just a very fun process. I don't want to go too deep into it, but I think it's some very cool violin sounds that we got thanks to the amp and the microphones. Well, now I'm going to have to listen to it again because I'm going to be listening for that part. Yeah. Um, so I'm a huge Tom T. Hall fan, too. And. That's how I got to Memphis. Let's talk about that one. Um, well, we just love that song. I don't know what there is to say about it, but it's just uh, something we've sang for a long time together. And yeah, we we play it in the back. We play it in the green room just to warm up a little bit. One of bit. our vocals because it's got you can really belt it. And then yeah. the, just the sentiment of you know why people end up the places that they do is always something you think about when you travel a lot. Because you see these people and you're like, how the hell, why do you live in this weird town in the middle of Oklahoma when you grew up in New York City? Like, what a, like, how did that happen? You know, because you meet people just from everywhere in every situation. So that's always something that's perplexed me. And I think that's just the perfect sentiment, you know, especially when how I got to Memphis, because Memphis is a very strange town as well, as you might know, as you might be well aware. I I do know, and, and I'm from there, and people are strange who are from there, so I don't know what that says. It's got a lot of great, it's got a lot of great history, but it's also just, uh, just a very interesting place and right in the middle of the country, you know. And also I'd like to acknowledge, since we have the chance, that we are quite aware of everybody that's recorded that song, especially uh, recently. I feel like there's been a lot of recent coverage. It's experiencing some sort of resurgence, but we just, we just couldn't help it. We just had to do it, so we did. I think it's a great tune, and um, 
you were talking about Memphis. Uh, Memphis is one of those places. It is a quirky place. So when you try to leave it, everything else seems pretty vanilla. <laughs> so so you end up being drawn back into the vortex of Memphis because it's a little quirky. And I guess everyone who lives here is a little quirky. But mm-hmm. who likes it, I guess? Um, I remember going through rural Alabama one time, speaking of uh, why do you live there? And I got to this little town. There, there had to be maybe five houses, but it had two barbecue restaurants. And so I was going, hmm, two barbecue restaurants in a town of like five houses, and there's got to be a story there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and you want to know it too. You don't always get it. No, no. But yeah. I, but I would. I, it's been in my head for a while. I think I want to go back and just ask them why they wouldn't choose another type of food for the second restaurant. <laughs> or or move to the town down the street. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, or put yeah. your restaurant. Yeah, I bet there's a barbecue feud in that town, and so I bet. The I bar- think that I think you might be right. I think yeah. you might be right. Well, let's um, let's end with one other uh, song. So let's take. Um, how about Tom Waits' "Flowers Grave"? Well, you want you want to hit it? Sure. Um, we love Tom Waits, and just the idea of doing a Tom Waits song, we rattled around about a bunch of different songs. We learned a few. And when that one came up, it was just, it was just such a be- such a beautiful melody. And we were, uh, and Adam had the idea to just do just a straight string arrangement. And I don't know, it just, it was very, very challenging. And we were like, well, it's either going to work or it won't, but let's record it anyway. And we worked really hard on it. And I think we scared the engineer a little, Matt, the engineer, because uh, we also did that the first day. And it was so challenging. He said, oh, boy, I hope I hope. He, he, he confessed later. He was a very positive guy. And he confessed later. Well, I, I hope the rest of the session isn't like this, because we were pretty argumentative with each other and that sort of thing, because we were truly trying to figure it out. And then all all the band members came in the next day and we had such a good time and he was so relieved. <laughs> but uh, and then so the first and the last day were really the the flowers grave days. And it was a really nice way to to cap it with a really uh, just one of the most beautiful songs that's ever been written, in my opinion. And and, and a very challenging say, musical endeavor. I'm very proud of the the strings arrangement that we did as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was hard worked, but I think it sounds pretty cool. And I think it's, uh, I think it's, it runs aside from um, the original recording, which also has some very cool yeah. strings. And it's nerve wracking to try and yeah arrange something that's already been arranged so perfectly, but it feels good to have that kind of, I mean, I think the intention is still there and the lyrics still shine through. Yeah, I'm also quite proud of, of the way that we arranged it. Yeah. I hope a lot of people listen to it, actually. It's scary when it's at the end of the record. People don't normally get to it. <laughs> well, Adam, David, it was a pleasure talking to you about Cover to Cover. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like you're going to have another album coming out in the not-too-distant future. So people can take the time to indulge in this really absolutely amazing cover album and then discover your new music uh, at some point when you release the, the next album. But I really, uh, I really just enjoyed the album immensely. So thanks for joining us and uh, taking the time. And come see us in Memphis. Oh, yeah. yeah. We will. Well, we will. Yeah. No doubt. 
All right, folks, that's all for today's show. Thanks so much to the Brother Brothers, Adam and David Moss, for dropping by today to chat about their new album, Cover to Cover, and their musical journeys thus far. They chose some truly great songs to cover that will inspire you with each listen, some well-known and some not so well-known, but the music speaks for itself, and we really think it's a masterful and heartfelt production. You can order your copy today at compassrecords.com. From all of us at Diddy TV, thanks again for tuning in today, and we hope to see you again soon, right here on Insights. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.